Hello everyone, this is Anesthesiology Education with Chris Little. I'm one of the CA1s at UCLA's Anesthesiology Residency Program, and I started this podcast because I love anesthesiology and I love podcasts, so I think the combination works out well. I'm hoping that you guys will be able to learn something from listening to this podcast. I'm going to be trying out some long format episodes and some shorter format episodes, so leave some comments and let me know what you guys think. In this episode, I'll be discussing non-invasive blood pressure measurement, I'll go over the historical methods and then focus mostly on the oscillometric methods that we use in our automated blood pressure cuffs today. So let's go ahead and get started. So there are three systolic blood pressure measurements that we're interested in. The first is systolic blood pressure, which is your highest blood pressure throughout the cardiac cycle. The second is your diastolic blood pressure, which is your lowest blood pressure. And the third is your mean arterial pressure, which is your perfusing pressure. You can calculate this pressure by adding one-third of your systolic pressure to two-thirds of your diastolic pressure. Um, The sum of those two will give you your mean arterial pressure. There are several ways to calculate it, but I think that this is the simplest. The simplest way to measure our blood pressure is simply to first locate a peripheral artery that you can palpate the pulse on. Then, inflate a blood pressure cuff proximal to the pulse until the flow occluded. What you do after that is release the pressure in the cuff by 2 to 3 millimeters of mercury every heartbeat, and then measure the pressure at which pulsations are again palpable. Unfortunately, this method only allows you to measure systolic blood pressure, and it tends to underestimate that systolic blood pressure by a significant amount. To get a slightly more accurate measurement, you could substitute a Doppler probe over the radial artery for palpation, but you still wind up getting an underestimation of your systolic blood pressure. A slightly more complex method is to auscultate the blood pressure listening for Korotikov sounds. Korotikov sounds are turbulence within the arteries when there is some deformation of the arterial wall. This method is a little more useful than simple palpation as it allows you to measure both systolic blood pressure and diastolic blood pressure. The performance is similar to the palpation method, but instead of palpating, you'll be auscultating. Once you release the cuff, the first time you hear Korotikov sounds is your systolic blood pressure. The pressure at which you hear your last Korotikov sound is your diastolic blood pressure. This method is unreliable, as Korotikov sounds can sometimes be difficult to hear. Deflating the cuff too quickly can also make the result an underestimation of the blood pressure. The modern automated cuff that we use in the operating room and that nurses typically use on the floor is called a sphingomanometer. It measures blood pressure using the oscillometric method. This method involves measuring variations in cuff pressure as the cuff is deflated. The systolic blood pressure is estimated at the maximum pressure where oscillations are detected. The mean arterial pressure is estimated where oscillometric amplitude is at its highest, and the diastolic blood pressure is measured at the lowest detectable oscillation. Unfortunately, companies use a proprietary formula to calculate these pressures, which means that they're not necessarily consistent between devices. I'll try to include an oscillometric waveform on the show notes as it's difficult to visualize, but uh, it's easy to visualize, excuse me, but it's difficult to verbalize. Of the values measured on an oscillometric cuff, mean arterial pressure is the most accurate. Systolic and diastolic pressures are typically derived from that mean arterial pressure using one of those uh, proprietary formulas. The last type of non-invasive blood pressure measurement that we'll talk about today is arterial tonometry. So arterial tonometry measures beat-to-beat arterial pressure by sensing the pressure required to partially flatten a superficial artery against the bone. The brand we typically use at UCLA is the ClearSight, and I'm not really familiar with any of the other ones. 
Um, this device can essentially provide the same information as an arterial line, but it's unfortunately much more prone to error from patient movement and it often requires frequent recalibration. Typical indications for non-invasive blood pressure. Uh, the ASA standards mandate that every patient receiving anesthesia shall have blood pressure measurements and heart rate determined and evaluated at least every five minutes. So just about every patient who's undergoing anesthesia is going to get at least a non-invasive blood pressure monitor and sometimes an invasive blood pressure monitor. Uh, so the non-invasive blood pressure cuff, because it can cycle as frequently as one minute, can easily fulfill this goal. Um, and while the ASA standard says that every five minutes we should evaluate blood pressure, there's some evidence out there that uh, measuring every five minutes does not allow an anesthesiologist the same predictive ability as measuring every three minutes in terms of predicting uh, unacceptable trends in blood pressure. So some contraindications for non-invasive blood pressure monitoring. The first big one are patients in whom trauma from repeated mechanical force of the blood pressure cuff inflating will cause problems. Um, the typical examples you think of are patients who have like a fractured humerus that would be a fracture site under the cuff, open extremity injuries, an AV fistula under the cuff, or a pick line under the cuff would all represent these problems as well. Patients who received axillary lymph node dissections uh, have limited drainage from the uh, ipsilateral extremity. Repeated cuff inflations on that arm can cause isolated limb edema. While this is not an absolute contraindication, uh, it's definitely something to think about. Non-pulsatile blood flow states like ECMO, ventricular assist devices, and cardiopulmonary bypass preclude the use of a non-invasive blood pressure cuff because all of the ways we measure blood pressure non-invasively require pulsatile flow. Although it's rare, patients who have very severe burns may not have a good location for a cuff on any of their extremities, and they will require an arterial line for blood pressure measurement. I'm going to go over some common problems with the non-invasive blood pressure cuffs. The first one is that the bladder of the blood pressure cuff um, is the portion that fills with air, and this bladder is often misplaced, which will cause a problem with your blood pressure measurement. So the bladder width should be 40% of the circumference of the extremity, and the length of the bladder should encircle 80% of the extremity. A cuff that's too small is going to give you an elevated blood pressure, falsely, and a cuff that's too large will give you a falsely low blood pressure. Non-invasive blood pressure height should also be at the level of the heart to be most accurate. A cuff above the level of the heart will measure a blood pressure that is lower than your true blood pressure and a cuff that is measuring blood pressure below the level of heart will provide a measured blood pressure that is higher than the true value. Cuff location can sometimes be a hard thing to think about, so moving the cuff peripherally from the, like a, on the forearm or the calf will result in a falsely elevated systolic blood pressure and decreased diastolic blood pressure, essentially making your pulse pressure wider. Typically the map is the same as it would be if you had placed the cuff more proximally though, um, so if you can use these other sites, you just have to be aware of these changes. Um, in pediatric patients, the upper extremity is much more preferred than the lower extremity as upper extremity non-invasive cuff pressures are a better measure of cerebral perfusion pressures than lower extremities. If you have uh, kiddos who are less than 1,000 grams, this disparity is even more exaggerated. In premature infants or infants in respiratory distress, you should use the cuff on the right side of the arm in case the patients have a patent ductus arteriosus, which would make the left-sided cuff pressures unreliable in terms of measuring the perfusion pressure to the brain. 
Long cases can also promote tissue trauma, even in healthy patients. So if you have a case that's going 10, 11, 12 hours, it may be prudent to change the cuff location every couple of hours as that repeated trauma can cause problems. And then another complication that I learned about while preparing for this podcast is the radial nerve spirals around the humerus and is uh, susceptible to injury from mechanical compression because it's so superficial. So if you place that cuff um, so that the distal portion of the cuff compresses the distal portion of the humerus, you can wind up with a radial nerve palsy. So try your best to keep the cuff in the middle portion of your upper arm. I'd like to finish this episode off by covering some review questions since I think it'll help hammer in some of the major points. So the first one is which blood pressure can be measured using only palpation? A. Systolic blood pressure, B. Diastolic blood pressure, C. Mean arterial pressure, and D. All three, systolic, diastolic, and MAP. So take a second to think about this um, and then we'll answer it here in a second. So the answer here is A, systolic blood pressure. Uh, Like we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, um, when you're palpating a pressure, the only difference you'll be able to notice is when you first get some blood flow returning after you release the cuff pressure. So unfortunately, palpation will only allow you to measure systolic blood pressure. Diastolic and mean you can get from using oscillometric methods, but not from palpation. Okay, so the next question is, according to the ASA, How frequently must blood pressure be measured during anesthesia? A, every three minutes. B, every five minutes. C, every 10 minutes. D, every 15 minutes. So think about your answer for a second. The answer for this question is B, every five minutes. So that's the standard for the ASA. That being said, like we talked about before, it's probably prudent to measure more frequently, say every three minutes, which is typical uh, at the institution where I train. So let's go on to the next question. Which of the following is not a contraindication to using a non-invasive blood pressure cuff? A, a fracture under the cuff. B, a pick line under the cuff. C, a non-pulsatile flow state. Or D, a cuff located on the same arm as a pulse oximeter. So the answer to this question is D, a cuff located on the same arm as a pulse oximeter. Every time your cuff goes off, you'll lose flow to the distal extremity, which means your pulse oximeter won't function anymore. That's not, however, a contraindication, more that it's just an annoyance during the case. Okay, on to the next question. Which nerve may be injured by placing a cuff over the distal portion of the upper arm? A, the median nerve. B, the radial nerve. C, the ulnar nerve. Or D, the musculocutaneous nerve. And we went over this one earlier in the podcast, but the answer is B, the radial nerve. And that's because the course of the radial nerve is very superficial and it abuts closely against the distal humerus. So if your cuff is inflating over the distal humerus, you can you can get a little bit of a radial nerve palsy from that. And the last question, in which groups of patients is the upper arm a much more accurate measure of cerebral perfusion pressures than the lower extremity when using a non-invasive blood pressure cuff? A, pediatric patients. B, patients who smoke. C, patients on beta blockers. Or D, overweight patients. Take a second to think about your answer really quickly. 
And remember, we covered this one earlier in the podcast as well. Pediatric patients should typically have their non-invasive blood pressure cuff placed on the upper extremity because that's a better reflection of their cerebral perfusion pressure. So that's everything I have for this first podcast episode. This is one of the shorter episodes because we covered such a discrete topic like non-invasive blood pressure, but I will try to tackle some bigger topics in the future and those might wind up being slightly longer episodes. Let me know what you guys think. Also, because I'm so new at this, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of things that need to be ironed out. So if you guys have any feedback for me, if you've done any um, podcasts yourself or listened to a lot of podcasts and have any particular tips, I'd really appreciate those. And if you have any particular questions about any particular content that you would like me to cover, I'd be happy to do that as well. Thank you guys for sitting through this first episode, and hopefully we'll come back and do some more together.